Welcome into another edition of the Dubcast. Bo Bishop, Johnny Ginter, brought to you this week by the Dry Goods Shop at 11warriors.com. How great is the stuff in there, by the way? And I've been with you guys now for like a month and a half, and Jason still hasn't given me any swag. Like nothing. That's ridiculous. That's sad, and that needs to be rectified. But yeah, it, there's a lot of really cool stuff, uh, especially with the kind of the affiliation and things that we're, we've got going on. I think it's going to pump that up even more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, mean, I like, like all I want is the unconquered T-shirt. Like, how hard's that? And I can't get. I mean, no love out of him out of that. I'm I'm just here, blood, sweat, and tears, building homes, having kids, and I can't I can't get nothing out of him. I'm kidding. I love him, of course. So this yeah. is it, buddy. Right? Like the idea is that we're finally in August. Yes. I mean, I'm here in Cleveland, and I'm watching these Browns go through the motions, and finally <laughs> we will see Scarlet and Gray uh, on the field this weekend, on Sunday. Buckeyes report, and we'll finally get a look at this squad that we've been talking about and thinking about all off season long, and uh, my feeling on it is about damn time. My favorite season in Ohio is fall, for obvious reasons. It's really my favorite season of any place I've lived, and um, is fall in Ohio, and, and we finally get to see helmets cracking a little bit. I, I could not be more excited. Yeah, I, it's it's been a very long, dark off season, but <laughs> and it's still and look, I, I love they call it fall camp when it's ninety five degrees outside, right? But that just that first hint of football is a tiny, bright, shining ray of optimism in our lives, and I, I am really, really excited about it, and particularly for this season because there are so many storylines, new things that are going to happen. New players are going to kind of emerge on the team. I'm excited for it. I'm I'm really pumped. I think from a from a not knowing what to expect standpoint, it's the most interesting camp that Urban's had since his first. Um, One hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like we had no idea what I had a little bit of an idea what you were walking into just because I had covered him a little bit at Florida. But in terms of how he was going to coach at Ohio State, we really didn't know um, that very first camp. We didn't know what to expect. What was he going to get out of Braxton Miller? Um, how was that all going to shake out? And obviously it worked out great, an undefeated season, and we know how what, what that set the table for. But this season, with the question marks around this team, and it's funny, you know, I mentioned NFL camp starting, and I will see this stuff on social media of, you know, Michael Thomas making a one-handed catch or Darren Lee jumping up for an interception or Ezekiel Elliott talking to Tony Romo, or you'll see Braxton Miller make a one-handed catch in Texans camp and Cardale Jones. And I'm, I see all of these guys, and I just think to myself, my God, how much talent did we have a year ago? Holy smokes. That might go down as the most talented team in Ohio State history, and I know what that says because some of those teams in the 90s were ridiculous, Johnny. But when you look at what looks like an instant impact NFL class and who is on that team and who has to be replaced, that's why we have what will be, I think, one of the most interesting camps uh, that we've had you know, with Ohio State. If Urban Meyer says that he's all about the youth movement and you know whoever is the best player available is going to play, this is the season where you're going to see that. This is the season where you're going to see yeah. a ton of freshmen on the field by necessity, but also I think because maybe they are that good. Maybe that is the new wave of players that are coming in. I'm really excited to see guys like Nick Bosa, for example. Is he truly that good? Is he the heir apparent to his brother? Is he going to be able to make an immediate impact on the field? You hear that stuff all the time about players while they're being recruited. They get hyped up so much. I know it. And you expect them to to be that amazing impact player right away. We're going to actually see if that happens. I'm excited about that. And that's actually our fault, not theirs. 
You know, like sure. these kids yeah, come in with this absurd hype and we blow yeah. them up like they're the next something. And if they don't turn into it, it's like, well, what happened to him? What was wrong with him? Um, <laughs> and there's plenty of guys that as I, as I come up with like five things that I'm most interested in, in fall camp. Um, and we'll, we'll go through them a little bit, but as you see this, there'll be plenty of guys in here and you think like, there will be people who would say, well, why hasn't he made an impact yet? And the reason for it in many cases is because the group ahead of him was absolutely loaded, and that and that's probably why they haven't seen the field as much um, as you'd think. Uh, the number one thing for me, Johnny, going into this camp um, is Mike Weber. The, the repla- replacing Ezekiel Elliott and what Zeke was able to do um, in the in – the, in terms of being a complete player and a complete tailback, the likes of which you rarely see. There's plenty of guys who can run it. There's plenty of guys who can catch out of the backfield. But to be elite at running the football, be elite at catching the football out of the backfield and pass protection, like Ezekiel Elliott was the last couple of years, he's got to go. He's going to go down as one of the more beloved Buckeyes of all time. And replacing him is a full-time job. And the, the thing that's interesting to me about Mike Weber, we obviously Bronte Dunn's gone. It's not just that he's going to be looked upon to replace. It's that he's kind of the only guy that I think is even capable. Because beyond that, it's vastly unproven. And and Mike's not even proven. I mean, we, Mike redshirted, so we don't even know what he is. But everything you hear out of camp is that he's going to be a stud. And he better be, because a lot will be placed on that young man's shoulders. It seems like he's ready for it, but that, to me, is the most fascinating story of camp. I'm really glad that you brought up the completeness of... Ezekiel Elliott, because to me, that's what's going to be missed the most. It's not just the fact that he was this otherworldly, otherworldly running back who can do everything and whatnot, but specifically the blocking in the backfield is so important in an Urban Meyer offense. And if Weber comes in and he can't do that, he can't pick up blitzers, he can't you know deal with maybe a linebacker who might be coming at him, that's going to be very difficult for the offense, I think, to sustain if you don't have somebody who is at least competent at all the things that Ezekiel Elliott was great at. And you may see a lot of rotation in the backfield if that ends up being the case, where Mike Weber just isn't up to snuff to a lot of the things that they expected out of Ezekiel Elliott. Um, And I I think... Well, I'm optimistic. I I think the dude, all the stuff they've been talking about him coming out of camp, I think he is going to be very capable. I don't think you're going to see 1,800 yards or anything like that, but I think you'll see enough to make the offense continue to, to be really good. And the thing about Urban, and it's not just about him, it's really all coaches that are good, they want to win the surest way. And I know that's something that's frustrated Ohio State fans sometimes. There's really not that much difference between Urban and Tress in, the, in terms of they just want to win the surest way. And if you think about the even last year when they just ran JT left and right, or in Braxton's sophomore year where they did the same thing, he just ran left, right, left, right, over and over again, or they handed it to Carlos Hyde or handed it to Zeke. I think... When this thing comes down, if if Mike Weber's not up to the task, I would say what would happen is you will see a couple of guys who came in as tailbacks and have been moved around, and Curtis Samuel and Dontre Wilson, and you'll see those guys injected back into the tailback rotation a little bit because I think what we have here is a Cadillac football team, and the tailback is going to have to be up to snuff for this thing to roll. So Mike's going to get the first crack. I think he will be. I'm with you. I'm incredibly optimistic. I think he'll be a stud. Everything I'm hearing about him is that he is one. But if he's not, I don't think they'll go youth movement. I think they'll go with one of those two guys if they've moved to the H and move them back to stand next to JT. Yeah, and, and honestly, that's – Exactly as you said, 
coaches want to win. If they can get five yards doing the same thing all the time every game, they will do that. We saw that with Jim Tressel. I mean, he'll run Dave right down your throat if he can. It doesn't matter. And I just think they're looking for consistency, especially when you have so much turnover on offense. JT Barrett will give them that, but you've got to have it from the other role players. And, uh, you know, hopefully they get that from the new guys. I'm actually more concerned about the wide receivers than I am the running backs, to be honest. I think that's going to be an area where there is going to be some significant drop-off. Well, we'll get to that because there's a reason why I'm not. So we'll we'll get to that. That's coming. That's a little teaser for the kids. You'll be all right. We'll be all right. Uh, let's flip to the other <laughs> side of the ball. And this is the number number two thing that I'm really excited about, and that is on the offensive line or defensive not line rather with the Dolphins, Washington, Joey Bosa moving along, and who's replacing them. And obviously, you mentioned many Bosa's coming into the mix. I mean, I can't wait to see that kid. I think he's going to be an immediate impact. I think it's possible that the pass rush from the front four and really. Everything that Ohio State's been able to do defensively from a positive standpoint over the last few years has been when they – and this isn't reinventing the wheel. If you can get pressure from your front four, then you can change the way you play defense, and that's when you can unleash Darren Lee or whoever it's going to be this year. Um, But I think they're going to get tremendous pressure up front from Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis, and I think Sam Hubbard is, a, to me, a lock first-round pick, whether it's this year or next. I remember when I would wait to do my show in Columbus and Urban's call-in show was on first and when Sam was a freshman – and Urban would constantly talk about Sam Hubbard. And as he was redshirting him, the regret of redshirting him, that he basically <laughs> feels like he's going to waste a year of that kid, that he should, that maybe they should have pulled the redshirt, that kid should have played. Because that kid, from an athlete standpoint, is off the charts. He was great last year when called upon, and I think he's ready to take another step. I've seen what Mickey does with those guys in an offseason. And I think that kid has got All-American written all over him. Taekwon, too. I think they're going to get after the pass passer even from the front four even better than they did a year ago. The pass rush is going to be very good. I, I don't think that's – I mean, like you said, Taekwon, Slam Hubbard, both of those guys are going to be excellent really wherever you put them on the line. I mean, Sam Hubbard, the dude's six foot five, what, like 270 almost. He can be very versatile in the way that I think they asked Joey Bosa to be versatile. I'm a little bit more concerned about their rush defense, especially when you lose a guy like Darren Lee. Uh, Worley, you know, is kind of the guy that people have been talking about as his replacement. There is going to be some weaknesses on the defense. It's going to be a question of how well they can cover those defenses up. If the guys up front can be versatile enough where you can just kind of rotate them around that line and stop maybe a team with a really great running game or by that same token, you know, put pressure on their quarterback for the really good passing team. That'll be okay. They'll be fine. But it really, I think, in my opinion, comes to the versatility of the guys up front. If they can play in a lot of different positions and do a lot of different things, they'll be fine. Um, they're going to get pass rush no matter what. I'm not worried about that. But it, it really does depend, I think, on how mature they are. And, you know, Sam Hubbard isn't – he's definitely not a spring chicken. But on the other hand, this will also be his first time having this kind of playing time. So we'll see how he handles that. Yeah, I, my my anticipation is that he handles it fantastically. <laughs> you mentioned the linebackers, and that gets me to my third point, and that is the linebackers. And it's you know that when you talk about Lee and Perry and Darren, my God, has any player at Ohio State transformed themselves as much as that kid did in terms of our perception of him when he was being recruited to what he ended up being? 
Um, what a difference maker he was on the field. You don't just replace a first-round pick linebacker who can cover slot receivers and rush the quarterback and sack him the way he did. Uh, and then Josh Perry was just the steady leader who was always there. He was just steady, year, game in, game out, always there. Those are tough guys to replace. But we talked about recruiting, and that's really the reason that this is a reload, not a rebuild. The names that I'm going to give you are names if you follow recruiting, you know like the back of your hand. Booker, Hilliard, Worley, Baker, plus these young kids coming in. Like Justin Hilliard's a guy who's running around in Chick Harley's jersey, for crying out loud. Like that's how highly they think of that kid, and I don't know if he'll see the field because Dante Booker's in front of him, and Chris Worley's another kid. And you got Jerome Baker, who's a kid that everybody wanted out of Benedictine, who was committed to Florida and ended up at Ohio State. So you've got all this talent at linebacker, and it remind this team. And as we get to the big themes, this really this team very much reminds me of the 2014 Ohio State team, in that we saw the stars next to their names in recruiting, and it was just a matter of it: are they ready to answer the bell? And when I look at these linebackers. Boy, you say you're losing a first-rounder and you're losing a, a Joshua Perry. How do you replace those guys? Oh, by the way, Raekwon's in the middle, All-American, probably first-team middle linebacker this year, so you got him. Uh, but these two dudes that are going to be standing next to him predominantly, it sounds like it's going to be Booker and Worley uh, with Hilliard and Baker and some of the young guys getting a, a shot at it as well. But it's an embarrassment of riches. Now, it's youthful and it's inexperienced, but you get a couple of games to coach them up before they've got to go down to, down to Norman to take on the Sooners. And to me, I, if I could watch any position group over over the course of camp, it would be the linebackers. I cannot wait to see these kids unleashed. I think they're chomping at the bit to play, and I think there are stars all over the field at this position. Yeah, the, the recruiting that Urban Meyer has done definitely helps fill in a lot of the more difficult departures to you know to replace and things like that. So I'm not, again, I'm not worried about it necessarily, but... I think I've been burned in the past. And granted, this is with Jim Tressel where there was a lot of attrition, a lot of turnover. And, okay, we've got guys coming in. We always talk about we don't rebuild, reload. I just want to see the proof of it. I will be convinced of it maybe after that second week. And then maybe I'll feel a little more confident going into Oklahoma. But I've got to see the proof in the pudding. I'm I'm a guy who just needs visual evidence of what I've been hearing and the kind of reputation that these guys have. Nothing against them at all. Right, because everything that you yeah. said is true. These guys are highly touted. The coaches have been saying a lot of great things about them. I want to see it in action, and that's what I love about fall camp, and that's what I love about the season coming up, because you actually get to see the yeah. proof of what people have been hyping up for over a year now. In some of these cases, yeah, and and it, it, that goes to number four for me, which is the secondary. And I think Urban used the great, uh, just a great line that he said, "It's a dogfight back there." For playing team time like who's going to play who, how do you replace you know guy like Tyvis who seems like he's he was back there forever you know at safety for Ohio State let alone Von Bell uh, Eli Apple top 15 pick in the draft I mean these are guys you have to replace and the expectation is you don't have a drop-off that's a silly expectation uh, look they got to play Baker Mayfield in the third game and that kid's going to be a Heisman front runner, and he's going to sling it all over the place. They got to be ready by the time they get there um, but again it's reminiscent to the linebacker issue that to me I don't believe will be one and it's just an absurd amount of talent and it's when you hear the names again like Eric Smith and and Webb and Burroughs and Hooker and Glover Williams we've seen these kids 
you know, run up, running up and down on special teams. We've seen them as physical specimens. I'm more concerned about this than I am the linebackers, to be honest. The linebackers, to me, I think will step in fine with Raekwon. We know Garion's there in the back in the in the secondary, but beyond that, it's a lot of unproven stuff. It's talent again, very much, very talented, highly touted. But this, of all of the issues on this football team, where to me there's question marks. Aside from Mike Weber being ready to play running back, but I still think there's ways around that. This one's the one that there really is no way around. A couple of guys in this group have to really step it up and be great uh, for this team to be what I think it can be. I think they'll do it, but I, that's going to be a fascinating battle in the secondary, how these guys step up and are they ready uh, for an enormous stage in Week 3. Yeah, I think, you know, and one of the guys that I was really focusing on for a long time, especially in the secondary, was Lattimore. And again, he's had a lot of injury problems. He's a lot of, had a lot of things come up, but it's like we've been saying, it's the names, right? It's the, it's the hype. It's the idea of what they might be able to do once the season starts. And, you know, the position battles, I really wish we had maybe more of an insight into the actual practices. And, and granted, I think they're only opening maybe two or three practices up uh, fall camp, which is unfortunate because we... I want to see that battle. I want to see that progression over the next month or so, or less than a month now, uh, and see how those players kind of shake out. And granted, I understand why they don't want us to see that, but it's still, it's going to provide a lot of context once the season starts, I think. Yeah, and it's like, talk about thrown into the fire, boys. Like, buckle in. (laughs) By week week three, you best damn well be ready, because you're going to Norman and they're going to sling it all over the place and you're playing under the lights in a, a non-conference game. I mean, Oklahoma's used to playing big games. They brought Florida State in there a couple of years ago and that was huge when Jameis was there. That's going to be a crazy environment and, you know, according to the AP, the two greatest college football programs of all time. So that thing's going to be nuts and th- that secondary's got to be ready um, because the learning curve there is absurdly steep. The last one for me, and you mentioned it off the top with the receivers and you had some concern with receivers and uh, and from a production production standpoint, you should. Um, I I lump for now, and unless something doesn't work out with Mike, and again, I think it will. I you know I'm put Samuel and Wilson are in that group. They're pass catchers, um, and the reason I have no concern about this group is because of the person throwing them the football. I have such respect for who J T Barrett is as a football player, and I have such belief in what Ohio State will do with him offensively that I have no worries with this group. When I look at Noah Brown, who I got to look at you know, last year and before the injury I thought was going to be a star, um, when I see a guy like that, another kid I love is Paris Campbell, who flashed last year but didn't explode. I would have liked to have had Jalen Marshall back. He's the guy that I really would have loved to have back, and the Jets wouldn't give him back because they love him. Um, but I'm, I'm a little concerned about that. This could be maybe Mac, a freshman, gets to break in here. But because of JT and his leadership and his inability and his ability to throw the ball accurately on time to the right place, I'm not that concerned about this group as I am the secondary because of JT Barrett. And I think that this offense this year will play to his strengths. I think last year the offense played with tremendous liability for trying to get an obligation to get Cardale Jones involved and Braxton Miller involved. And I think this year what it will be is JT Barrett's show. And when it's his show, like it was when he came in and stepped in for Braxton, when Braxton went down and they won the national championship, eventually thanks to Cardale Jones, he finished fifth in the Heisman. And I think we'll have that JT Barrett this year at Ohio State. And I think that will cover up 
the youth and an experience at receiver. Again, talent-laden, but we do not have the experience. I see why you'd have it, but because of JT, I don't have the nerves here as I do in the secondary. And that's fair. I mean, JT Barrett is an excellent leader. He's obviously, you know, become a huge part of just what Ohio State is right now. And I think Urban Meyer loves those kinds of players just in general, attitude-wise. The only thing that I would say is that what this team lacks right now, they've got a lot of guys who, you know, with Curtis Samuel and with possibly Noah Brown and, and Corey Smith and all these other guys, you've got a lot of dudes who are really good short to intermediate pass catchers, or at least mm-hmm. potentially really good. You don't have a guy, however, that can really stretch the field. And that's I where Noah I would Brown hope a guy like Torrance Gibson comes in. What's don't you up? think Noah's going to be that guy? Like I think, I he's think he gonna... can be, but yeah. when you've got a guy coming off of an injury like that, right. it, it I yeah, feel like you valid. want somebody who is a known quantity in that respect. Yeah. And I just I really card, hope right? that Torrance Gibson can develop into something like that because he's just so huge. I mean, he's right. a gigantic dude. He's, he's a, when you think offensively, and this is again with recruiting, and it's funny, like you mentioned these names, like you remember how big of a deal Johnny Dixon was in recruiting, and because of injuries, we haven't really talked. I mean, they gave him number one. And by the way, if you're trying to decide what a coaching staff thinks about a recruit, pay attention to the number they assign him. Because that, the kids who are in the single digits are the ones that the coaches absolutely have enormous expectations for. They gave that kid number one. You want to talk about a recruit, they bring it back to Darren Lee. Darren Lee was issued 43. I assure you, he didn't want 43. That's what he was <laughs> issued. He made it famous. But they didn't have high expectations uh, for, for Darren Lee. He became what he, you know, because of their hard work and his hard work, uh, he became what he was. They gave Johnny Dixon number one. I mean, they expected him to be a superstar receiver. And he may still... You know, he's been injured, and here we are talking about receivers, and we haven't brought up his name. Um, you mentioned Torrance Gibson. That's a kid who we all know about his recruitment. Um, we know about how he came here you know, with the opportunity to play quarterback and quickly turn to receiver, which is a smart move. Better to do it now. Uh, better to do it early so you can develop. Um, but, again, talent, and it's on JT. And I think he will be uh, – has the potential to be – uh, really, in, at the Downtown Athletic Club, like I think he's they're gonna. I think they're smart enough this year to learn from what happened last year and put it in his hands. Uh, they don't feel the pressure to give Zeke a certain amount of carries or Braxton a couple of hits or Cardale slinging it deep. Like they can just let the offense become a little bit more organically through JT, and that's why I just don't have that concern with the receivers. But as we've gone through these five things, buddy, you have what I go back to what we how we started. That's why this camp's so intriguing. Because this thing is wide open at a lot of spots. Uh, we haven't mentioned the offensive line where we could have a true freshman starting. I mean, there are so many questions that are going to be fascinating over the course of the next month, and we'll have you covered better than anybody at 11 Warriors with updates constantly. Um, but that's why the people will be glued this spring. Because if this team's going to be great, a bunch of young guys are going to have to step up. Yeah, absolutely. And in the offensive line, I mean, that <laughs> I feel like it's a big oversight on our part because sure. you're absolutely right about that. You got Pat Elfline and some other guys. So we'll see how that goes. That That's going to be an interesting part of the, the team. I just I have think, so much faith in Ed Warner, you know, yeah. overseeing yeah. it all and especially what he's As done with should. the offensive line. Like, I feel like that they'll be fine. And I know Coach Studs is going to be there. I mean, I, I think they'll be in, in, a, in great shape. Across, I'm not worried about this team at all. I, to me, like I, I couldn't believe the over under was at nine. Like that's stealing money. I, I think they'll, I think they can sleepwalk to ten and two. Um, I know we. So I know you're going to talk to um, the guys with our new Iowa website, which we're partners on. Um, so we'll, you'll do that coming up shortly. I want to get a couple of quick hitters in, and then I'll 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 push off for the for the podcast. Um, yeah, let's do it. All right, AP number one 
team of all time, Ohio State. This was this was cool. Were you surprised by that? No, because okay, every program has uh, peaks. In, this is since the AP's been around, so that's eighty years. Every program has peaks and valleys. Ohio State has had very little in the time that the AP has been doing this poll, and that's really what it comes down to. Ohio State has never really had their valleys have never been that low. I mean, if you think about Alabama's valleys. You know, with Dennis Franchione, roll, roll tide, roll, it's rolling, baby. And if you think about, like, USC's valleys, and we lived through Michigan's valleys, Notre Dame's valleys with, with Willingham and Weiss and Bob Davey, I mean, they've had tremendous. So in the sense of never really falling off the national, you know, radar, it makes sense that Ohio State is that. We've never had it. We've just never had you know, we look back on the 90s as, like, the worst era, right, for those of us of a certain age because you couldn't beat Michigan. But, my God, those teams were number one in the country. Like, how many of those weeks in the 90s, you know? So we just never had a fall-off like some of these other programs had. Yeah, the only thing that I would say is that if you're talking about, you know, AP, if this is the AP poll saying who is number one of all time, I'm with the Ohio State. Their presence in the AP poll has been pretty much nonstop forever and ever and ever and ever. They're always yep. there in some fashion. I think they've fallen off, like, maybe once in the past however many years, 60 years or something ridiculous like that. However, the only thing that I would say as a caveat is that, yes, Ohio State has been remarkably consistent in just being a nationally important team. I don't know that our hills, our peaks, have been quite as big as maybe some other teams at least have sustained. I was surprised that Alabama, or even Oklahoma, wasn't number one on that. Because their dominance during the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, Ohio State was great in the Big Ten and won a lot of national championships, but not like Alabama did. And I would have thought that might have put it over the top, but on the other hand, I think of like what you know the the coaches that those teams had that you mentioned. Uh, those were pretty bad years. Those were pretty lean years for especially for Alabama in the early two thousands. That was oh. not a good look for that program. If you go post Gene Stallings and Alabama until they hired Saban, it's a fifteen year period, twelve to fifteen year period of almost completely irrelevant. Um, and, and Michigan, of course, we know what happened to them, and they don't have the championships anyway. They have the overall wins, but many of that was before the AP. Uh, Notre Dame hasn't, you know, they played for the national title a couple of years ago where, you know, if we were eligible, it would have been us. But, um, well, we would have played them, I guess. Alabama would have been out. Um, but they, they haven't won a national title since 88, um, and, and their lean years were pretty lean. I mean, our lean years in the modern era, if you want to go post, you know, from 1970 on, you know, it's 8-3 and three Earl. And it's John Cooper can't beat Michigan. And in those years when they couldn't beat Michigan, they were still top five in the country, you know? So they were so relevant. You're right in that they don't have the overall championships. Although Bama's are, you know, we boost our, what do we, I think we only have five national titles, but we count eight. And I think Alabama counts 16 and they really only have 10. So um, <laughs> it's a little dicey when you start counting national championships. But I thought, I thought it was, first of all, I wished I was doing radio again because that's like the easiest three hours of all time. Is to just throw that out, like in the minute, at the end of July and the beginning of August, to be able to throw that topic out. That's a layup. Which of these counts? Right. Yeah, that's so great. Uh, so that was cool to see. Um, I have to acknowledge we don't like doing it often, but I do have to acknowledge that um, Michigan crushed the Jordan Brand unveil. They pretty yeah. much crushed that. Yeah. And you know what? A lot of Ohio State fans look at that and go, you know, well, who cares about this? This is stupid. You don't have to care about it. You know who does care about it? Pretty much everybody under the age of 18 is getting that's recruited right. by Michigan. That's right. And like, they're that's, cool. It's that's cool. Cute. Like, we can admit, I think, I mean, I'm strong enough in my place that I feel like I can admit that it's kind of like when you could admit that, uh, like, another guy's good looking. 
You know, ah, I get it. He's really <laughs> right. it makes sense. That makes sense. That's got, yeah. Like this was a nice. This is a great fit for them. Of you know, obviously, coach and program works very well. Uh, but the to be the first Jordan brand team, and I mean the 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 kicks are cool. I, it's a good look. Um, I I'll be. I wish Ohio State would just go to the gray sleeves. And I wonder if maybe they'll do something with LeBron. I, I wonder what they'll do. I also saw Ohio State the next day uh, tweeted out that picture of the white and scarlet shoes. I would love for Ohio State to go back to black shoes. I love that look, and I, I would love for, love for them to go back to that, but uh, probably won't happen. But um, I got to got to tip my hat to to the to the school up north. They they knocked that one out of the park. Well, and Ohio State really does need, I think, to keep promoting their relationship with LeBron James a little bit. And granted, I don't think it's nearly as formal as what Michigan's doing with. Uh, Jordan and and people might even say, well, it's basketball. How does that even make sense? It's nothing to do with it. It's entirely the brand and it's entirely how Michael Jordan and Nike is perceived. And like you said, that's an amazing get for Michigan that, that really helps their image and their brand in general. And, you know, like I said, I think Ohio state needs to start making more connections with LeBron, especially now. I mean, holy crap. Right. Yeah. I'd love to see it too. Um, last thing. And I, I could not, the only thing that would make this more exciting is if he was back in my conference because he was my favorite villain, will always be my favorite villain until Harbaugh <laughs> becomes somebody that I can that I start to hate. Uh, but Brett Bielema and ESPNU is picking up his show being Bielema. This thing was a train wreck. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just a train wreck in his previous incarnation. It will continue to be. There is something about that fathead just running around Arkansas, <laughs> drinking whiskey and eating pork, and with his hot wife who he picked up at, in Vegas. Like, the whole story is so Arkansas. It's so Bielema. I miss him more than I miss anything. I wish he was back at Wisconsin. We were teasing before the show. I said, I could, I know Paul Chris, the coach at, at Wisconsin. I couldn't even name him. I'm going, but when Bielema was there... I mean, you did something when that fatty would walk into the room, and I just would be like, I love, I could not love this guy more. He is just such a perfect adversary and perfect villain, and um, I miss him, and I cannot wait to see Being Bielema and just see him run amok. I 100% agree with that. I reviewed, actually, Being Bielema when it was like the YouTube show awesome. in January, so I actually went back and I watched the whole thing, and it's, it's really hilarious how it's edited, too. They try to make him seem like this international super spy coach who's just going around on jets and making cool jokes and they tried to show like his funny side and they showed they showed him making this joke about a giant i guess he bought a giant cookie for someone's birthday perfect and it was like 30 seconds of him talking about hey i I made that i made that and you believe i made that and a person on the other line's obviously going no brad i don't believe that he's like i didn't make it Ah." he's just he's most obnoxious flatulent, gigantic person in the history of the universe, and I love that he's getting his own television show on ESPN. That's, Buddy, how many, that's the logical conclusion of this. I mean, honestly, how many LBs did he put on from Wisconsin to, to Arkansas? I feel like at least like dude. four score and 20. I mean, it. he yeah. he put on some big weight going down there, and I get it because it's barbecue and it's uh, all sorts of whiskey. I'm sure he's doing all – drinking beer and just, <laughs> just being a legend. I just miss him so much, and when I saw that, I was so pleased – because I needed a little more of him in my life. He was my favorite villain that in the time that yep. I was in Columbus, and I will miss him. Um, you know what? Last thing I want to say about Brett. Yep. I, as much crap as I have given that dude over the years, I will always, always respect and love him for the hilarious troll job that he did with the clock, you know, before the, the rules were altered oh, yeah. uh, against Penn State. Yeah. That infuriated Joe Paterno. And at the time, yeah. people were like, oh, well, Joe Paterno is a good guy. Brett Bielema, like, screw it. Now I hate yeah. it. Now I'm 
extremely happy that Brett Bielema made Joe Paterno furious yeah. for several days because he wouldn't stop talking about it. So that my hat's great. off to you for exploiting that loophole, Brett, and I will give you credit for that till the day you die. I agree. And I will also tell you, I met we met him once uh, when I was at Channel 10. We were doing the uh, bowl specials for the Rose Bowl uh, when Ohio nice. State played Oregon. And he and his girlfriend at the time, girlfriend, were walking up to the Rose Bowl. It was an empty Sunday. It was the day after the game. And he was walking up to the Rose Bowl. And he's walking up. He stopped by our set and talked with us and was actually incredibly friendly and very approachable and the type of guy you could have a beer with. And it it's it was just fit in so perfectly with how the way you perceive him to be is the way that he is and i just miss him <laughs> so much in the big 10 because the big 10 was better we'll do our previews as these months go or as these weeks go along leading into the season and you start to talk about this will be one of the things we'll talk about in an upcoming podcast buddy it's like you start to look at east versus west and i'm sorry there's nothing in the west that's going to get me excited nothing right. i mean i don't like there's not a storyline um, there's nothing there that's going to buy it but when he was it out there and especially when Pelini was at Nebraska, they were both nuts. Um, it was just such a – at least it was interesting. It might not have been great football, although Wisconsin had some good football teams. Uh, but they, at least they were interesting. And there's not a lot to get you too, too peaked up uh, when you look west. Although – uh, you're 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 now going to chat with our buddies from Iowa, and perhaps they can change your mind. They can change my mind f- for us all. <laughs> Twelve and one, man. I mean, they're 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 killing it over there in uh, Iowa City. All right, buddy. Well, I'll talk to you next week, and we'll uh, we'll do it again. I look forward to hearing the Iowa con- uh, conversation when I download the pod. All right, joining us, we've got Adam Jacoby from the newly minted Go Iowa Awesome editor at large. Thank you for joining us tonight. I really, really appreciate it. It is a uh, it is a pleasure and an honor, a privilege, really, uh, to be joining you. <laughs> I got to tell you uh, something. I'm extremely excited about Go Iowa Awesome. Not in the least because of the artistic sensibility that you guys bring to the 11 Warriors Basement Media Works template. Like, I saw the, <laughs> like, you had the avatars, right? The the template avatars with mm-hmm. the little smiley face. I, I know that it was somewhat altered from the initial uh, recommendation of the default avatar, but I just want to say, please, yeah, please, well, look, please, if it were up to me, I'm just saying everything would be done in MS Paint, and they'd all be like simple smiley faces forever. Because mm-hmm. that's really the only, I don't know, visual software that I feel like anybody ever needs. So I really appreciate that. Right, right. You know, we we, we see a lot of polish these days on the, <laughs> on the internet, on the webs, in, in the, in the right. content factories and farms. So everybody's zigging. We might as well zag straight back to 1995. <laughs> Nobody sees that coming. What we need to do is start incorporating, like, kids' picks, you know? You know what I'm talking mm-hmm. about? Where they made, like, the bark noise every time you use the stamp tool. We need to bring that yeah, back, I think. Absolutely. That needs to be more incorporated into our material. So I've got a lot of questions for you. I want to get through them quickly because I know you're a busy man. First thing I want to ask, though, what what, what the hell? Like, what happened last year? <laughs> what went so <laughs> right? How did that happen? Uh, if, if any of us, uh, even the most ardent, of Iowa fans ever tell you that they saw 12 and 0 coming, they are lying to you. <laughs> I caught some flack for predicting six and six, and uh, I, I believe my I, I said it was virtually mathematically impossible that they go 12 and 0. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm and, and I sincerely believed it. I wasn't trying for the reverse jinx, but I totally reverse jinxed that team. 
Um, I, there, there were, there were some games I thought they had no business winning and they, they won them all. Uh, and with the exception of the Wisconsin game, which was nip and suck the entire second half, uh, they spent virtually the entire season, um, not even in any danger of losing their games, which is to say at no point did the opponent have the ball, uh, in the fourth quarter with, uh, eight points or fewer as a deficit. So, like, like, it wasn't like they were ever one drive away from blowing a game. That just didn't happen except for against Wisconsin. Um, and then when it finally happened against uh, Michigan State, uh, things went badly on the last drive. Um, but, but uh, it, yeah, it's it, we didn't see it coming, and especially after uh, C.J. Beathard messed up his hip a little bit but then stayed in for the rest of the season, Figuring, okay, they're going to come back to Earth at some point. Uh, it, they did, but it just happened to be in December and January. So is Kirk Ferentz now everyone's favorite coach, and he's going to you know sign another forty-year extension on his contract and have a thirty million dollars buyout, stuff like that. Everybody, everybody happy? Everybody copacetic? I mean, the guy's kind of earned it at this point. He's done more than Hayden. Uh, he's getting close to Evashevsky territory, and that's like as as high as the staircase goes at the University of Iowa. Uh, at the same time, you know, he's getting up to about 60 years old. The The external market for him is not what it used to be. And so <laughs> Iowa is basically pursuing a retirement contract for him. To say, okay, you'll always have like four years in front of you because you need that for recruiting. Um, but he's probably not going to have a huge buyout once we get to 2020, which is when his current buyout ends, I'm not sure they're going to extend it a whole lot, but they're basically going to make sure that both sides are fine with him just being in Iowa as long as he wants, um, you know, unless he's like 75 years old and going 2-11 and 11 every year. Um, but, but barring that, I mean, you, I, I, I'm probably not making any sense to an Ohio State fan. You really aren't. So with, this completely with your, with your 92% winning head coach. But... But when you're in little lowly Iowa, um, you know, being, being good for nine wins a season, especially when you see what the other team in the state of Iowa does every year, uh, right. you, you get to you get to respect that. Uh, and it's not like there's anybody else in the Big Ten West doing a whole lot better these days. So, okay, so a couple of things. And, again, I want to kind of bust through this real quick. But uh-huh. for people who don't know too much about Iowa, maybe they just know about CJ, they don't know about maybe some of the guys on the team, mm-hmm. who's somebody that Ohio State fans and other Big Ten fans at large should really be looking out for on the Iowa Hawkeyes this year? Well, this is going to be such an Iowa answer, but I'm going to tell you it's on the offensive line. And uh, it's, uh, it's James Daniels, who is uh, the, the son of um, – of a former Ohio State Buckeye, uh, whose first name for, uh, eludes me, uh, but LaShun Daniels, the, the tailback, who is a, a hoss, um, they're brothers, and uh, and so they're they're sort of Buckeye legacy. Uh, LaShun, we got because Ohio State didn't offer, and so then when Ohio State came barking for uh, James, uh, we we were we had the the in. So uh, he is at center, and he's going to be a beast. He is planning on winning Outland and Remington Awards. Uh, we're not going to tell him he's wrong. So uh, keep an eye out for him. And if you want somebody a little a little bit more flashy, I'm going to say Miles Taylor, strong safety. Dude can lay the lumber. Uh, he reminds me a little bit of Mike Goss 
Spear, I'd say. Uh, nice. So, I mean, he's, he's not Bob Sanders. He's not that kind of violent. But Goff was pretty darn close. And Miles hits right. like that, too. Big, fast. Gotta love him. So, okay, so looking at the Big Ten West, and that's really kind of what we want to do with this. We want to maybe a little bit of a macro picture on the Big Ten. Iowa is generally, and I, I would say mostly on the strength of last year, but generally perceived as being one of, if not the best team in the Big Ten West. Do you think that's going to shake out that way towards the end of the season? Are they going to make another appearance in the Big Ten championship game? Uh, I think it's going to be awfully close, and it wouldn't surprise me if they do. Uh, Nebraska still has a lot of questions, uh, not the least of which being Tommy Armstrong being back again uh, because they don't have anything better. I mean, the, the guy's never been good. <laughs> no, I, that's, that's a big problem. And so it's when fair, people say, fair. you know, oh, Nebraska's loaded, well, not really, and their defense has been a major problem uh, for a while now. And right. you can't. You can't win without a quarterback and without a shutdown defense. Sorry. Uh, so nine and a half wins is the line I just saw for Nebraska. I don't think they're getting anywhere close. Uh, Minnesota looks dis- – they could win eight <laughs> or nine games. Northwestern, I guess, could win eight or nine. Uh, Wisconsin is always pretty talented. So I, I think it's going to be close. I think it's going to be a fight. But I don't see any reason to say, well, Iowa can't do that again. Um, right. I think Iowa looks better on paper than their 12-0 team. Uh, their schedule is incrementally more difficult. The game against Michigan is not going to be fun. But, I mean, yes, 12-0 was an aberration. It's not going to happen again. But 10-2 <laughs> with this team it, in this division, yeah, that is totally on the table. So assuming that they do, you know, run that table, they 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 pull it off again and, and you know make Kirk Ferentz look like a genius. Who do you think they go up against in the Big Ten championship game? It's okay to say Ohio State. You can say Ohio State. I'm fine with that. I, well, I think Indiana is just overdue. No, um, <laughs> no I think it's Kevin Wilson uh, got him throwing throwing heat. I think it's got to be either Michigan or, or Ohio State, and I'm going to lean Buckeyes just because uh, I trust Urban more than I trust Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> and, well, no, I, hey, Urban's got the the pedigree to back it up. I mean, you know, you can't argue with winning 92% of your games, and it's not like this is the first time he's had to replace a bunch of NFL talent either. So right. uh, there are question marks to be sure, but I think down the roster 185, uh, the Bucks have it set over everybody else in the conference. I think MSU is ready for a step back. Uh, I think Michigan's going to be really tough, and it wouldn't surprise me if that is if uh, the game is basically a play-in for the college football playoffs, right. um, regardless of what happens in the Big Ten championship. Although let's be honest, the East is winning it again. Uh, but uh, you know. Those are your top two dogs, and uh, and I, I'm already eager for what's going to shake out on that final weekend between that game and um, Black Friday with Iowa and Nebraska. I got to tell you something that if that comes to fruition, I know that the Ohio State Iowa matchup, especially when both teams are good, you know, in a, in a championship type setting, is something that Iowa fans have been salivating over since 2002. Yes, and if, if you didn't bring it up, <laughs> I was about to. Yeah. <laughs> I just every time I talk about it, either online or in person, with like an Iowa fan, that that is like the the one thing that sticks in the craw more than anything else. It's and for people, on, sorry, can you explain a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So 
That was the only time in Big Ten history that two teams went 8-0 in the conference without playing each other. There was right. another weird situation where Ohio State and Iowa both went undefeated, but Iowa played one fewer Big Ten game for reasons I don't understand. Uh, or no, it was OSU went 9-0, and Iowa went 8-0. Anyway, um, and that was Iowa's best team. Uh, it was That team was better than this year's team. They, they lost to uh, Iowa State because our quarterback couldn't feel his hand in the second half. A little bit of a problem. That, no, they just wrapped him too tight, and he never bothered to tell anybody. So it was an yeah. awful upset. But by the Big Ten season, they were dominating everybody. And it is a travesty that we didn't get to see Iowa and Ohio State play. And the reason that Iowa fans say, dude, we should have played you, is because that's the only time that we could ever say that, oh, yeah, Iowa had a shot at a great Ohio State team. That's all we wanted to see was just to have them have that shot. And so when they went to the Big Ten like championship format, it was a decade too late. Uh, it, you know, maybe Ohio State would have won it, but boy, you would have had a hard time convincing me anybody other than USC uh, could have beaten Iowa uh, come uh, November and December in 2002. That team was loaded in a way that Iowa is never loaded. Yeah, I got. I got to say, and the reason why I really enjoy that kind of argument and conversation is because I kind of agree with it. I think mm-hmm. Iowa would have given Ohio State fits that year in a lot of different ways. I, I still think Ohio State would have pulled it off just because of the depth. But yeah, mm-hmm. you're absolutely right about that. That was a really, really loaded Iowa team, and it would have been really cool to see those teams go up against each other. Yeah, All right, and, so and, I got, and we so can't say that about any year in the 14 that have ensued. <laughs> Like, it's not like we're like, oh, yeah, 2009, we would have rocked you, too. Oh, no, 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 no. That's the last year that we can say, yeah, we would have taken out that great OSU team. So we, that's yeah. why we hang on to it this entire right. time. Yeah, I, I will say, because there was, you know, Iowa has defeated Ohio State since. You know, there was, mm-hmm. I forget, I think it was 2004, yep. I believe, was the next yep. year. Yeah, and when, when that was, was starting. Yeah, yeah, that was a shellacking, you know, and, and mm-hmm. at Iowa. And I will say that probably my all-time favorite memory as an Ohio State fan that's not like related to a championship or whatever is the revenge game the following year. And Under the lights? Yeah. Yeah, well, I just remember Drew Tate getting sacked about five times in a row. And my absolute favorite moment at Ohio Stadium is when he spiked the ball on the ground out of frustration and 105,000 people all went, Oh, I can't that! <laughs> it was oh, yeah. awesome. It was so oh, good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, under the lights was those six at Iowa. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I next, fortunately didn't get. To, yeah, I didn't get to watch O five. Oh darn! Um, but <laughs> I, I do understand that our kicker was the only person who scored a touchdown that day, which is all that I need to know. Right. Well, that's you come to Ohio State, you kind of get that from time to time. That's mm-hmm. that's how it happens. We we let kickers get their opportunities. <laughs> all right. So I've got Thanks. one last question for you before I let you roll out of here. If it's not, you know, an Iowa player, it's not, you know, a person you're really familiar with, what is your favorite team slash player that is not an Iowa Hawkeye in the Big Ten? In the Big Ten? Ah, dang, because I was going to say Christian McCaffrey. I hope you run that's, for Well, that's five a very good, that's a good answer, too. No, I, look, if he's going to dominate Iowa like that, I hope he does it to everybody else next year. Otherwise, it makes Iowa <laughs> right. look like some chumps. Uh, right. In the Big Ten, you know... This is this is going to sound like I'm pandering to your audience, but I love JT Barnett. 
Oscar Barrett. Um, yeah. Damn, that guy is so fun to watch. Uh, and, and it's it's not like Urban Meyer doesn't know how to use a guy like that either. <laughs> so, um, it, you know, it, it's his show now. And, and there isn't a situation like, well, what do we do with Cardale? Um, no, I, I, I think he's going to win uh, Big Ten Player of the Year. And, and it, it's always fun, like extra fun, when somebody who wins an award like that does it in such an entertaining way. You know, it, it's not like it's, um, I mean, it's not like Eddie George sucked, but Eddie George, you know, he was a very, very good running back, but he wasn't doing things where, like, oh, I've never seen that before. Um, <laughs> but, like, Barrett is, like, the latest in the line of QBs who just will torch you if he wants to. Or just, you know, look, I got to say greatest yards. JT Barrett play, if you haven't seen it, Adam, greatest JT Barrett play of all time uh, was at Minnesota, and he scored, I think, on the longest rushing touchdown play by a quarterback in Ohio State history, maybe one of the longest rushing touchdown mm-hmm. plays ever at Ohio State. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's basically like a runaway golf cart. He's not fast. He's just going fast enough to outrun everybody else in Minnesota, and it is the, it's the most yakety-sacks play in the world. And it's beautiful. Like he's not fast, but he's faster than everybody else, and it's great. It's all it takes from the Big Ten. That's right. <laughs> Just exactly. outrun their fastest guy. That's it. <laughs> uh, Adam, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Go Iowa, awesome. By the way, an amazing long form Rose Bowl uh, articles up on there. I definitely check that out. It's really really cool. Uh, not a lot of time spent on the actual game. That's fine. Not the point of the piece. Go and just read it. It's, it's super great. Uh, Adam, thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Johnny. It's uh, great to be part of the Brethren now. It's great. That's right. Glad to have you. And that is this week's Dubcast. We look forward to having you guys on next week as we look forward to the Big Ten season and more shenanigans from you guys. So we'll talk to you guys then. Peace. <laughs>